reading this morning comes from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, starting in verse 27 all the way to the end of the chapter, which is verse 31. I ask you to all please stand for the hearing of God's Word. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might see wonderful truth out of your Word this morning. Amen. Hear the Word of the Lord. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is the author of this word. And we ask you for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because he shed his blood for us and because we can come to you and hear from you in fresh ways through your word and by your spirit that you would help us to hear what the Spirit is saying in this verse this morning. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As you heard, we are going to have a week of prayer starting on August 15th because we believe that prayer is impactful. And during that time, we're calling uh, everyone uh, to engage in intentional prayer as we begin our uh, new season here at the church. Uh, one of the great definitions of prayer that I've run across in my life has been from Dr. Billy Graham, uh, that great and famous evangelist. But he describes prayer this way. He says, at its deepest level, prayer is fellowship with God, enjoying His company, waiting upon His will, thanking Him for His mercies, listening in silence for what He has to say to us in His Word. That just sums it up so beautifully, that it's really a relationship with God is what prayer is. It's a conversation with God, and we are in that fellowship with God. We are enjoying His company. What a beautiful phrase. The way we put it in the, the catechism is what? What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. They were so wise when they put that little word enjoy in there because prayer is really about us enjoying, enjoying the company, the fellowshipping with God. It also says, though, those words that this passage will talk about, that in prayer we're waiting upon His will. That is part of that relationship that we have with God. In the meantime, we're thanking Him for all the mercies that He's given to us, and we're waiting in silence for Him to speak to us in that still, small voice of Scripture, that we hear what He has to say to us. It's a very balanced and wonderful description of prayer, but you can see part of prayer being described right here in Isaiah, 
Because what's happening here is there's a conversation between the people of God and God himself. And God is responding in that conversation. So let's pick it up in verse 27. The people in their prayer times as they're talking to God, they're telling God, you're you're hidden from us, Lord. Our way is hidden from you. And our rights are disregarded by you, God. They have a complaint to the Lord. They bring it to the Lord. And the Lord in verses 28 and following is going to begin to correct their thinking. He's going to let them know, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God. Nothing about you has been hidden from him, nor is he hiding from you. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. And not only does he not disregard your concerns, but in verse 29 he says he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. He loves to give away his strength to those who are needing it. That is the God that we serve. But then God says, but I do have a concern in verse 30. He recognizes that even youths shall faint and be weary. Even young men who are skilled in what they're doing shall fall exhausted. He recognizes their frailty of us on this earth having to wait, on this earth having to wait. And so he says, let me offer you a couple of things that can help you. The first one is connection. Connection with him, he says in verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Just by waiting on the Lord, your strength can be renewed. And then he gives them another uh, part there. He says there's confidence that God is going to move. At some point, God is going to move. And he says they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That God is going to move in our life. Well, the the way I... I, uh, I look at prayer, and the way that I look at this passage, uh, one of the, the beautiful things here is what it says in verse 31. But before I identify what that is, uh, right now we are ending uh, the Olympics. Uh, this is the, uh, the, the uh, closing ceremonies. And uh, the Olympics have a motto, uh, but their model actually changed after many, many years. They added a new word to that model in the Tokyo Olympics. And it's faster, higher, stronger together. And they recognized after all these years that obviously the Olympics is about competing against one another. But ultimately, we are all together. That we've got to recognize that there is a togetherness aspect even uh, in sports. And so when God talks about uh, the waiting room of prayer, God's waiting room of prayer, this idea that we're going to have to wait and not get the things that we're asking him for, not get fulfilled the things that we desire. When we're in God's waiting room of prayer, he reminds us of a huge blessing. He says, not you who wait for the Lord, not he or she who waits for the Lord, but they who wait for the Lord. When you're in God's waiting room of prayer, you're not there alone. There are all types of people all over the world, all types of Christians right here in this church who are waiting with you in that prayer time. They are waiting with you in that prayer. You're going to have to have that band of brothers and sisters around you who are waiting with you. You are not alone in that prayer room. You are with the people of God. 
That's why at our church we offer on Sunday afternoon, starting in September, compassion groups. Because we recognize that when you're going through a difficult situation, you cannot wait alone. That's not what the Scripture teaches. It teaches us to wait in the community of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we have in the compassion groups, we have uh, divorce care and grief share. Uh, We have uh, Lion Bridge and we also have uh, financial peace. Because it's so incredibly hard to wait anyways... Uh, It's near impossible to have to wait in that waiting room alone. Starting on the 22nd, when we launch off into uh, our church year, we're going to have more adult discipleship classes offered than we've had offered in a long, long time. And the reason for that is we believe, we hope, we hope by God's will that people want to come back and fellowship with one another with God, around the Word of God, with other people of God, as we wait, wait together. In fact, here at this Lord's table right today, it is all about waiting. Yes, we remind ourselves that Jesus Christ died on the cross the first time for us so that we might be forgiven. But it's about waiting for the second time, His second coming. This table reminds us someday will happen, but has not happened yet. And so we wait, even this table, we wait and we pray the great prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus, we wait. But that waiting, as we will see, has many, uh, many reasons for that. But at this point, one of the things is to remember that we do not wait alone. Now also, when you're looking at that, the way of the waiting room, when you're looking at what's happening in waiting, there's... The way I describe it is there's like decorations uh, in, the room, in the waiting room. Things to remind us of what God is going to do for us to bolster us up. And there's a uh, chart that, that uh, kind of describes this. That in this passage we're to wait. And then God says after our waiting at some point he's going to elevate us like wings on eagles. We're going to fly and then we're going to run. He's going to empower us. And we know that he's empowering us to come to Christ And then we're going to be able to walk. We're going to be walking in this age. And then sometime, just like Enoch, God's going to just say, come on. You're going to walk into eternity with him in great fellowship. Uh, The reason why I love this this idea here that Isaiah has given us to, because in many ways this describes our salvation, doesn't it? You know, it's interesting Most people think that the way this verse should read is you walk, you run, and then you fly. That's how logically it would go, chronologically. But God flips it around. You first fly, you run, and you walk. You're in that deep pit, and you think you can never get out of that pit. But God can bring you out of that pit. God will bring you out of that pit. And it will be supernaturally. He will move in his great mighty strength and he will bring you out. And when we call upon the name of the Lord and ask Jesus Christ to forgive us, he says that everyone who calls upon my name, everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ for redemption will be saved. He will bring you out of that pit. And facing judgment for our sin will no longer be the case because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus took our punishment so that we don't have to take it and we might have 
fellowship with him that is God forever. He supernaturally brings us out and then he empowers us at our salvation to run to Christ. You know, it's interesting, the book of comfort in the Bible is considered Isaiah 40, chapter 40, all the way through 66. There's 27 chapters there. And uh, 16, uh, 13 chapters before Isaiah 53 comes, and then there's 13 chapters after Isaiah 53, and it shows that in this portion of the Bible, Isaiah 53 the great prophecy of the cross of Christ that occurred 700 years before Jesus will come and die on the cross for our sins. That great prophecy is the heart of Isaiah. It's bringing us to the cross. And in that great prophecy in the heart of Isaiah, there is, it's, to me, it reads like a prayer confession. The very central portion of Isaiah is like a prayer confession. And I'd like you to Turn, if you have your Bibles, to Isaiah 53, particularly as we prepare our hearts and minds and souls to come to this uh, Holy Communion table, that this beautiful uh, description of what Jesus did for us in Isaiah 53, verses 4, 5, and 6, God makes it all personal here. He says, surely He has borne our griefs, He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he is wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Four times the word our is used there. Our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions. Our iniquities were all laid on Jesus so that he, as the perfect substitute, brought forth love and forgiveness from God forevermore, thanks to his precious shed blood. That's what happens in salvation when we come to know the Lord and we come to realize that Jesus Christ's blood was shed for us. But in the Christian life, that happens over and over again. But sometimes we're waiting for that to happen. We're waiting for that supernatural movement of God to fly us out of the pit that we're in. To have us run again with fresh strength to the cross of Christ and bring everything to, to, to Jesus' feet and to experience the lifting of that burden, and then being able to walk as Jesus walked, to walk in the light as Jesus was in the light and is, in fact, the light of the world, to walk humbly, as Micah says in his prophecy, to walk humbly with our God. But there is this season often of waiting and it's so uh, very difficult, but we have to remember that when we're in that pit of waiting, God is in the waiting room waiting with us too. Don't, he is not the doctor who is in the, in the, working with other patients and we're waiting to see him. We're never waiting to see God. We may be waiting to see some answers to what we're asking, but we're never in that waiting room. Not one tiny little second are we ever waiting to see God. He is always in that room 
with us. This is, according to search engines, the most popular verse uh, during the pandemic for people to look up. It's Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. There's that beautiful phrase. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will, will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you think you have hit rock bottom, you've got to remember that God is always the rock. He is always the one who undergirds us and strengthens us. He is always there. There is never a time that we are waiting to see God. We always, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, can go to the throne of grace in heaven to get help for our times of need. He is there. But what I want to talk more about with you is this idea of the worth of waiting. If in the way of waiting you're remembering that you're not waiting alone, there's other believers with you, that God has given you a confidence that God is going to move at some point in his divine pleasure. As we all know, we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in his time, in due time, he will exalt us. But in the meantime, we always cast our cares upon Jesus who cares for us, is what St. Peter tells us. And then God is always there. He's right there in the waiting room with us. But we also need to see the worth of waiting, why it's so worthwhile from God's perspective to wait. Remember uh, what Billy Graham said? He said that prayer at its deepest level is a fellowship time with God where we enjoy His company. Is that what prayer is? Is that how you experience it? It's a, at its deepest level, it's a fellowship time with God when we enjoy His company. And then he goes on to say very clearly and directly where we wait upon the will of God. But in the meantime, we're enjoying His company. And that's what Isaiah is driving home here when he says to wait for the Lord. There is an aspect here where we enjoy God's company. Now, frankly, it's very hard often for us to enjoy God's company. And we all know why. Because God's in control and we're not. And we want to be in control, but God is. Let me put it another way. We all love serving God as long as we're serving Him in an advisory capacity. We're telling Him what He needs to do. For instance, I I don't want to play the lottery God would not want me to play the lottery, but I would like somebody else to play the lottery, win a whole bunch of money, and then give me that money. That's how I would like that to be done. I would really like that to happen. God, could you make that happen? He hasn't hasn't responded to me yet. (laughs) Because he is the sovereign of the universe, and I and you and we are not. And when he puts us in God's waiting room, he is telling your heart, your soul, my rebellion, my usurping of his authority, that you are not in control. I am. And what is most important right now is not that things get done, but that your capacity to enjoy me forever is expanded. That's what he's doing in the time of waiting So let me uh, share with you a quote from Eugene Peterson, who says it uh, incredibly well. 
He says, our compulsive timetables collide with God's leisurely providence. Isn't God's timing just leisurely? Come on, God, come on, let's go, come on. I thought this would have been done by now. God says, uh, nope, I've got this, and this is going to be the timetable that we're going to use. We take him seriously. Eugene says, why else would we be praying? We obviously take him seriously, but we take ourselves more seriously, telling him exactly what he must do for us and when. That is the struggle. Now, many of us are familiar with the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer became famous by Alcoholics Anonymous because when they were looking at ways to help with overcoming addiction, uh, they found the serenity prayer uh, to be incredibly helpful. But what they discovered to be helpful is not just helpful for somebody who's struggling with addiction. It's helpful for every person in this sanctuary this morning to deal with our struggles in our own life. And here's the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, to an addict, it wasn't the wisdom that they were attracted to, although that's a great prayer. And to the addict, it wasn't the courage that the early folks in Alcoholics Anonymous were attracted to, which is a wonderful thing, but it's the first part of the phrase that was so helpful to them. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And the addict, when they were real with themselves, when they really told them, really got in touch with what was going on, they discovered there was two things happening. The addict was trying to control his or her world, and he couldn't control his or her world. A lot of things happened that are going to happen, and we might as well learn to accept that we're never going to be able to change that. So they could not manipulate or change the world. But by not being able to manipulate or change the world, the addict began to have really doubting, hard, uh, frustrating type feelings. And in order to control those bad feelings, they will go to medicate themselves through a foreign substance. We all do that with some substance if we're going through this as well. The bottom line is, uh, when I mean that we don't like those bad feelings, so we want to somehow mask them, somehow uh, help them, when in reality... What we need to do is accept that there are some things that we cannot change. Now, in a little tongue-in-cheek here, there's a new serenity prayer that's come out, uh, which I think wouldn't be a bad thing for all of us to pray. But let's look at the new serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the one I can, and the wisdom to know that one is me. Every one of us can pray this prayer, that the wisdom to know, Lord, that the one needs to be changed is me. And one of the things that needs to be changed in every one of us, that's always going to be a call of God in every one of our lives, is to expand our capacity to enjoy God no matter what. And this is what this passage is saying But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They who wait for the Lord. The Hebrew word for wait 
describes an intertwining or a binding together type process. When we're waiting on the Lord, when we're waiting, we're actually not waiting. Like I said, the Lord is always there. We're always, his presence is with us. We're always waiting with the Lord, not at the Lord, not getting angry with him, not uh, being troubled by his lack of uh, coming through for us and our seemingly thinking that our prayers have not been answered. In this particular Hebrew word, it's reminding us that we're intertwined with God. Our lives are to be intertwined with him, that the one thing that cannot take, be taken from us, the one thing that can never be taken from us, and don't let anyone disrupt you so much that they take this from you, or at least try to take it from you, and that is our relationship with God, our ability to enjoy his company. And think about how important that is, our relationship with God, being in the waiting room with God. Let me share with you a couple of waiting room passages uh, in the Bible. Uh, Psalm chapter 25, verse 5. Listen to this verse. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. That's in the waiting room of prayer. But lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. And let me share with you another uh, great passage about the waiting room of prayer. In Proverbs chapter 8 verse 34. A favorite one of many people. It says, blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gate, waiting beside my doors. I would venture to say that most people who are in God's waiting room are not saying, blessed are those who wait daily for the Lord. But indeed, it is a blessedness because you're expanding your capacity to enjoy God. What do we say in American tradition when we've enjoyed someone's company, but we've had to wait for something. We have a little phrase that really answers what Isaiah's getting at. We say, hey, I know it was a long wait, and I know we had to wait, and I enjoyed your company. It made the time go faster. Ever hear that phrase? Being in your presence, enjoying your company, made the time go faster. That is what God offers us here, that those who are in the company of the Lord, who are enjoying that company, who are expanding in their capacity to wait for the Lord, their time will feel as though it will go faster. And at some point when his great grace is more and more fully revealed, they will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so they will enjoy what it means to be out of the waiting room of God. One other thing that this passage is telling us, as I said earlier, God loves to give his strength to his people. 
He doesn't say, I'm going to send you an angel and he'll give you strength. He doesn't say, I'm going to send you a friend and they'll give you strength. God is constantly promising in Scripture, right here he does, that he will renew your strength. He will take his strength and exchange his strength for your weakness. That in grace, we know it's sufficient because in our weaknesses, we can be powerful. He loves to do this for his people. And that's what he does at this table for us this morning. That this is the table where God is with us. That no matter what, we know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Because Jesus Christ shed his precious blood for us. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That we are indeed fully in communion with the Most High God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. Here are the great words of institution given in the Scripture in 1 Corinthians on the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you so loved the world that you gave us your only begotten son that your son jesus christ died on the cross for us he gave forth his body he shed his blood so that we might be forgiven holy spirit i pray that you will take this ordinary bread and this ordinary wine and to use it for your spiritual for your spiritual significance and power i pray lord that you will lift up our hearts unto the to the throne of grace that we might know afresh again that Jesus Christ is indeed our Savior. We give you all the glory, Lord.